Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode sweetness, number 34, the greatest of all time, gone but never forgotten on this February 8th, 2024. We are joined by Patrick Klepek. Oh, yeah, let's go. Woo, 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 woo. (laughs) Janet Garcia. Hello, I went to Walter Payton College Prep, and 34, I would see that number everywhere for the whole four years that I was there, so... But did they make sure you understood what it stood for? Yeah, they did make sure we understood (laughs) what what it stood for. And it's funny because they're like, once you leave here, you're not going to notice. Yes. Well, (laughs) well, maybe not too much, but, you know, we all knew everything. We all knew. Um, (laughs) Maybe that says it all, Rob. Don't worry. We we all knew. (laughs) We all knew the significance of 34. But, yeah, that was like the school number, obviously, for Walter Payton. And... Yeah, you'd see it like everywhere. You'd be like, oh my God, it's 1034. This is 34. They're like, that's not going to happen once you leave here, which I find like to be so psychologically fascinating because that's so true. Like I, no one's, what you just did, like I, I feel like I'm about to wake up and I'm going to be like in math class. Like I swear to God. Yeah, there's places where that's just a number and it's like, no, it's, I'm sorry. 34 is a hero. Uh, as always, we are a listener-supported show. If you enjoy Remap Radio and wish to become a supporter, you can learn more at remapradio.com. Our website has links to our uh, orders page where you can sign up for a monthly or annual plan that gives you access to exclusive Remap content and helps, uh, he helps keep us going as a team. And hey, uh, we, also sell a, we also sell a mug. There's a link there if you, if you want a cool mug. I think it's the, the best mug we've ever done. I, I actually do. Yeah. That one gets that one gets heavy rotation. Patrick, the nice. Waypoint Map mug does not get the heaviest rotation. There's a lot of days I see that thing in the cabin, and I'm like, I don't know that this concept really translated to the mug. No, but I will say, like the complete happenstance of having the the matching color going inside the mug, it's just it's a good it's a good setup. Like it's we didn't plan it that way. It just happened to we to have the option. Uh, but I I agree, it is definitely the best piece of of merch we produced uh so that's not i i use it on all the time on purpose as opposed to hey we're doing a stream i should i should have the mug ready yeah uh all right let's get into today's topics or today's topic we'll we'll see how we'll see how this goes uh so i don't know what it means patrick when this news first started to break it started to sound like Oh, the console wars just ended. Microsoft announced its surrender uh, to Sony, but uh, I'm, there's more nuance to it than that, I'm sure. So this, yeah, we're you know we're we're recording this on. I want to put a a, a a marking date. We're recording this 
on uh, the morning, uh, early afternoon of February 7th, also known as my birthday. And what I want to do for my birthday is talk about the death of Xbox as a platform holder. Uh, it's all I ever wanted. Um, and But these rumors go back to earlier this year, the start of 2024. There was some reports from uh, Jeff Grubb, Stephen Titillo. Uh, I'm sure also going through uh, a number of the Xbox insiders going through an existential crisis over the last week about their decisions in life to align with the Xbox brand. Uh, that because uh, so they're going to be executed. Uh, <laughs> like people should just know that. Like this, if this goes the way we think it might, uh, Major Nelson, various Xbox stands, Xbots, um, just turned like, off. Just turned your off. actions have it's been just the recorded. Thanos snap kind of situation. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> I don't feel so good. Is that, is that why Major Nelson left? I was like, God. yeah, he's in hiding. <laughs> uh, that Sea of Thieves, um, the rare uh, multiplayer game that is not quite at end of life like many of these Xbox uh, are at, but uh, was a a game that had gone through a number of seasons. Uh, sort of seemed as though Rare was probably getting ready to move on to another project. And Sea of Thieves exists, has players, but that it was not necessarily going to be top of mind, and that. Turning Sea of Thieves into something like Minecraft, which, you know, Minecraft is a, a property uh, and, a, and Mojang is a studio that Microsoft acquired many, many years ago at this point and didn't change anything about its multi-platform uh, nature. Just sort of said, we're going to bring it into the, to the Microsoft family and make a bunch of money off it and not really fundamentally change it. Uh, and that Sea of Thieves sort of seemed as though it could be the kind of game that, what is this actually... Uh, is this a value add being exclusive to Xbox anymore? Might we get more people interested in Xbox if they realize the game like Sea of Thieves uh, was on PC, was on PlayStation, was on Switch? I think for most people that seemed pretty reasonable. The other game uh, within uh, that discussion was Hi-Fi Rush, the shadow-dropped uh, ZeniMax game that was uh, my uh, favorite uh, game uh, from last year. Like uh, I really enjoyed Hi-Fi Rush, and you know, in my heart of hearts. I would like more people to play that game. And so hearing these two games uh, sort of being considered as possible uh, ditching sort of exclusivity on Xbox and appearing elsewhere seemed to make some level of sense if you thought about uh, Microsoft's like sort of uh, broader vision of, you know, wanting Game Pass to be on PlayStation uh, or Switch if those platform holders would let it. Uh, Where things sort of have signaled perhaps a fundamental shift in Xbox as a platform, as a brand, what the vision is for the future of Xbox and Xbox games, were a series of reports that started coming out in the past uh, couple of weeks uh, in which Starfield, uh, alongside its uh, first upcoming expansion, would be released on PlayStation 5. Uh, Indiana Jones, a game that may start as an Xbox exclusive and come to PlayStation sometime soon after. Uh, Gears of War, which is due for a remaster collection, uh, potentially coming uh, to other platforms. Uh, and this created, uh, quite literally, a, a toxic sort of identity crisis amongst a lot of, I don't know how to describe them, Xbox fans, Xbox faithful, how, like, but essentially what is Xbox as a brand? And uh, this became such a firestorm that finally Phil Spencer was forced to come forward and announce that uh, sometime next week there will be an explanation of business strategy. I should probably just quote directly from Phil just so that uh, I get it right. 
uh, Spencer wrote on, on Twitter, uh, we're listening and we hear you. We've been planning a business update event for next week where we look forward to sharing more details with you about our vision for the future of Xbox. Stay tuned. Um, and that sort of certainly doesn't discredit any of the reports. Uh, it doesn't necessarily confirm any of them either. There's been data mining and Hi-Fi Rush showing colors that closely align blue with PlayStation, red with Switch, suggesting that we are uh, perhaps getting some imminent details on some of this stuff. But what has been left in the vacuum of understanding what the scope of this is, what the immediacy of this is, has has really been the biggest crisis around Xbox as a platform, probably going back towards something you and I are unpacking in a letter series, Rob, that people will probably be able to read by the time this podcast is out, which is 2013 and the announcement of the Xbox One which essentially signaled the death of Xbox as a relevant brand, perhaps forever. Um, but that's, that's what brings us to today. Yeah, I, like, I still don't know what to, what to make of all this. Uh, it certainly feels like, well, I guess here's my first question. Does it feel to, to y'all like this is a, long-term plan coming to fruition and they're just taking the covers off it like right now, because to me, this has seemed reactive um, and a bit chaotic in how it is coming out, which makes me kind of wonder, you know, there's decisions you, there's decisions you take because, you know, you've gone through your process and you're like proactively saying, I choose to do this. And there's decisions you kind of get like uh, checkmated into, uh, you know, over, over time. And to me, at least, it feels a little bit like some of these shifts from Xbox are the sorts of, especially in, in the, the lack of clear messaging yet, uh, it, it, to me, it begins to feel like this is more of a decision coming from a place of reaction. And that, to me, makes me wonder what else is going on. Yeah, I'm surprised by this, but then it's, it's weird because it's also not, it's simultaneous, it's like the Schrodinger's cat of surprises. Because on one hand, I think to your point, Rob, this surprises me because I feel like with all of the money Xbox has spent on acquisition specifically, it did feel like the strategy was, okay, well, you know, we're down on the exclusives. Like, we don't really have a lot on the exclusive camp, but we have Game Pass, we have Play Anywhere, and we have um, other facets of our brand identity that are aligned with, we're like good guys who are all about like, you know, gamers getting to play wherever they want. You know, that was kind of their their brand, their vibe. Like, we're here for the betterment of the community. And they sold that, I think, pretty effectively for what it is. You know, you can argue how appealing that is compared to the kind of more PlayStation Nintendo traditionalist method, but that people like Game Pass and they like that Xbox has Game Pass and that works well for them. And then it felt like on the side, they're like, okay, now we're going to build up the exclusive stuff. And if we can get that, and get all of those working at once, we can really have something cooking here. And so this potential shift is surprising to me in the sense that it seems like they, this would be them letting go of that, what seemed to be their plan. But at the same time, again, Xbox hasn't been about selling the box for a long time. So it feels, it feels in line with one thing, but not in line with another. So maybe this does mean they are like more so shifting towards, hey, Maybe stuff is like it hits a here first part of our like Xbox Game Pass day one vibe. But then after that, whatever, we can make more money selling these games on other platforms. More people can play them. It fits that ethos of like, 
we want a, you know, better gaming holistically. Like I get how they're going to sell it. And I, I, to me, if they go forward with this, that is them fully moving into, Hey, we're just about like Xbox day one and play anywhere, which includes other consoles. There's a couple important data points, I think. Uh, one, uh, the Financial Times reported uh, back in December, uh, this is an analysis by a group called Ampere, uh, Ampere Analysis, that the PS5 was outselling the Xbox Series X by a nearly three to one margin. Uh, in the Xbox One PS4 era, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I believe last I saw that it was essentially PS4 outsold Xbox One like double. Like, let's... Let's invent a number 100 to 50, right? But it was... it was but That was considered a, a very handy win. PS4 decisively beat Xbox last generation. Correct. And you're and, saying and the, generation the, before, the drubbing has worsened. And the, and the generation before, they were essentially kind of came to a draw. Uh, 360 and, and PS3 were something around 90 million. Um, I think it was in the 80s. But like they were within spitting distance of one another, and that's a lot of PS3 catching up further. So you combine that with... Some other important points, like, for example, Game Pass, the future of Xbox, the future of gaming. At a certain point, Microsoft has stopped reporting the subscription numbers for Game Pass. For several years, they were very excited to show quarter over quarter, year over year growth. And at a certain point, when it got to the 30 to 35 million subscriber range, they stopped reporting those numbers. Um, Do I think it fell off a cliff? No. Do I think it plateaued? Probably. Uh... And then you combine that with a quote that came out from uh, Microsoft's uh, CEO, Sati Nadella. I believe this is how you uh, pronounce mm-hmm. uh, his name. Um, uh, this was in June of uh, last year. So in the midst of all of the Activision uh, uh, Blizzard acquisition stuff, uh, was asked about exclusivity. Uh, this is from an MSNBC uh, or CNBC report. Uh, quote, Microsoft employees, uh, or, uh, larger gaming rivals, uh, Nintendo and Sony often release exclusive titles on their devices as a way to lure customers into a competitive market. Microsoft employs the strategy as well for Xbox, though Nadella, uh, said his company is a quote, low share player in the console market regarding exclusivity deals. He said, I have no love for that world. I, this is not reporting. This is me just caught like connecting some dots. I think you can see some pretty clear connections between Game Pass, which is an extremely expensive service to run in which you are you are following the Netflix model uh, or rather the tech market model of like flooding the zone with money to get subscribers. And then then you ratchet up the price later to make all the financials make sense. They're not selling enough boxes. Game Pass appears to have plateaued and you have a head of the company who essentially runs a more or less safe software driven business uh saying on the record i don't really like exclusives probably because if it's everywhere you can make more money certainly sounds to me uh that at a certain point this division faced a pretty stark reality that the next generation is conservatively three four years out even though we're not you know like if the next actual cycle that we're repeating is a ways out what does Xbox do for the next couple of years? And even if they get to that point, can they imagine a world in which they can create a fundamental shift with PlayStation and Switch? Switch, they're not really competing with, but PlayStation, they are. And I just don't think that world exists. I think they eventually arrived at that reality. But as we're, we got into in this, this letter series, Rob, did they arrive there naturally 
because the decision makers there went, huh, like this is the future of games and it lines up with play anywhere. Or were they looking at the hands that like what, the cards they had left and with losing the prospect of ever making Call of Duty exclusive uh, because that's the only way they were able to get that through all of the regulatory scrutiny. You lost the biggest possible chip for a decade to lure people to your platform. And if a game like Starfield doesn't move the needle, like didn't didn't represent this big pivot point. I think Starfield is part of this. I think Starfield is in conversation with that game being big, but not world changing. I think you end up at a place where you have a company kind of reading the room. Doesn't mean they're going to pitch it as this is what we always intended to do. This is what Xbox has been building towards. And they can pull things off the shelf that sure make it seem like it aligns with a strategy. But this feels hobbled together as a way to make the fine, like the money make sense. If Game Pass is the future, then you have to make the finances of Game Pass make sense. And I think the way you do that, or a way you could do that, is by putting Starfield on PlayStation. And probably everything they make on PlayStation and everywhere else that they can. To me, it seems like one of the only ways that you could really make Game Pass especially make sense as a proposition is if you were confident you could strike deals that make Game Pass sort of platform agnostic and, you know, Sony would be willing to offer a portal through that and not just buy. Because if the idea is we just want as many subs as possible, you would ideally want access to that install base. Really, the prize would probably be the Switch install base. And then you're, like, talking about game streaming uh abilities like as, as a way to be like you want to play like modern console game streaming through your switch but i don't know if the hardware really even has that capacity um but to me so i guess from one standpoint i think there's always been heading into this generation there was suspicion that there were just not that many cycles left for full hardware refreshes uh they're getting harder to justify the gains are more marginal each time you have to do this it's hugely expensive in r&d manufacturing and then it's a huge risk each time right you're you're jumping out of a plane uh and hoping the chute opens you, you the people will, will will buy the box and in the meantime like you know just in the past few years the gap between the gap between like playing games locally on hardware you you own control versus the experience you can have streaming something has narrowed quite a bit there there are indicators like pointing to the way a lot of people are pl- going to play the games the types of games that they've been playing uh you know for for decades is is going to fundamentally shift in the coming years and maybe the the hardware business does not have the longest legs at this point so it makes sense that you know, from Microsoft standpoint, at some point in the next, you know, decade you were thinking about, there's probably going to be a last box you put out and like put your marketing muscle behind. And it kind of feels like maybe we've sort of arrived at that point, just just kind of early uh, from a position of it's just not it's just not selling very well. Now we could they could make fools of us all. And the roadmap they they paint in the the business briefing they're gonna put out is going to be like, we're gonna double down on hardware. At a later date, TBD, you should see the ideas we're cooking up. At this moment, <laughs> it feels like you can't square what they're doing, which is like you can play Xbox games anywhere, which is cool. But then if you can do that, it 
further highlights the question of, well, then why would I own an Xbox? Uh, because, you know, the I get, I'm getting those games on PlayStation. Uh, then I would just as soon have the have the PlayStation. Um, and that's setting aside the the very cool thing they've done with, with uh, PCs, which is effectively they've tried to make Xbox synonymous with Windows gaming, right? That that is, you know, if you... If you're in Windows and you you open Xbox, there's there's your Windows Game Pass games. Uh, all that stuff is very cool, but it all like the the more you say, well, we're going to bring our games everywhere, the more you sort of create a crisis of identity and purpose for the hardware division uh, that that you know is is a part of this. Uh, and so, I can see where it makes sense that if if the har- if if the idea of selling this expensive hardware, those days were numbered. You would want to start finding a way to make this transition right now. The part of this that feels to me a little broken is that, you know, and I think this is kind of the, the punchline of, you know, one of the big concerns I have in the, the piece we're, we're writing, Patrick, is, you know, if you're a platform holder, you're by definition really important. Your exclusives matter more. People pay more attention to you. Um, there's at least an idea that you can leverage the the synergies and the special unique powers of your platform by being closer to it's a the hardware vision, side. Right? Like why buy ours over the others? It's all video games, right? Most of them come to all of them. Why are you why are you here? Why are you at the green one? Right. And even if that's been kind of mooted in the last few years, that the, you know, PlayStation was never going to try to do something nifty with out of the box with hardware again after PlayStation 3. Uh, Xbox was never going to try to be like, what if the Xbox was like the command center for your whole house? <laughs> We're They're just PCs. Do- We're just PCs. And then it's the studios you own. That's it now. <laughs> yeah. And so if if you've arrived at that point, what the roadmap from here would seem to be is like, we're a huge publisher with a huge pipeline. And that's cool. Like uh, size and quantity are properties all their own, but you're still, maybe it won't happen right away, but over time you're just going to be a publisher and everyone is having the similar idea of like, well, how can I get recurring revenue out of my content catalog? And how I want subs too. And I want to be like, you're, you're kind of now jostling, with other publishers for position on other people's platforms. Um, and to me, that feels like there's, there's a bit of risk in there because what you're sort of selling people on is like Xbox is going to transition to being like a huge publishing library and a huge, like uh, the biggest and best uh, like catalog of content in games. That is like, that's neat, but that is still just like being in the business of publishing. And over time, you know, we're going to be still paying a little more attention to like, well, what's Sony going to do next with their platform? Uh, what's the next Nintendo platform going to look like? And what are their, you know, standbys going, going to be? And Xbox is going to be there saying, well, and look at the value you can get, uh, you know, with Game Pass on all these platforms. Maybe that, maybe that's profitable. But to me, it feels like that good that you're offering is, is fungible. Uh, from the consumer side in a way that like selling people on the idea of like there being an Xbox identity and an Xbox platform they're buying into is not uh, the minute you're like, and here are our games. Cool. Uh, I'll get to your, you know, I'll watch your, uh, you know, presentation right after I'm through Ubisoft. Can't wait to see what you're up to. 
Yeah, I uh, one of the things that I I wonder about and what Microsoft is in danger with here is the the benefit of a, being a platform holder is you you enjoy the power of the vertical stack, which is everyone that's on your platform pays you to be there. Um, right as Apple is engaged in a lot of fights on a lot of fronts uh, across the world over its app store and the 30% it takes. Um, c- currently, like Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, all take 30% uh, to be on their stores. And that has gone relatively unquestioned. Like that is just how the console market has worked since Nintendo sort of established that as a baseline um, many decades ago. Uh, in Steam some way, share is also about 30, right? Yeah, I believe so. And then a- Epic, I think there's this different, that was part of the attractiveness of going to a platform that nobody wants to use <laughs> and nobody plays on um, uh, unless it's exclusive. But, uh, you know, they, sure, you could put Game Pass on PlayStation if they'll eventually allow you. But if they subscribe there, you're giving 30% of that to Sony. There's a reason places like Netflix fled the App Store as a sign-up process because the margins, the numbers don't work or, or you know, uh, the, 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 you know they, they don't want to give up that amount. They don't think that whatever Apple or whoever the platform holder is provides is providing enough value to, uh, to, to give that part up. Um, so, you know, in that respect... It's, it makes some of the math a little more challenging because you are suddenly at the behest of all the other platform holders that are taking additional cuts from the material that you're producing. Now, maybe that, again, if they adopt the PlayStation strategy uh, for PC, which it's very easy to imagine this being modeled after, which is, hey, a year later, nobody's signing up for Game Pass to play this game. Nobody's buying an Xbox to play this game. Nobody's buying a PlayStation to play this game, or at least the amount of people doing that is one in which the math of having it on a platform like the PC uh, suddenly makes sense. Like in many ways, we're all, we're headed to a version of this. It just becomes like whose corporate priorities line up for it to appear to appear some somewhere else. Um, and if you want to be charitable to Microsoft's like sort of reading of this situation is that hey, we're just jumping ahead to ten years from now where everyone's going to be doing some version of this, where like boxes, which will be sold for a long time to come, become increasingly niche platforms. Um, uh, like that, that is the world we're headed to. It's just a, a matter of how quickly we get there. Boxes will remain important, and then the boxes become specialty platforms. And probably, my guess is, like get more expensive over time, but also get cheaper over time, where like you're getting little plugs, your PlayStation plug, your Xbox plug, that goes into your TV um, or as an app and like streams things to you. But if you want the high end PC like experience, then you're buying an expensive or increasingly expensive box uh, for something like that. And so I think Microsoft's theory of the case is going to be we're just jumping to where the industry is going. And and look, we just completed this $70 billion acquisition that gives us a lot of properties that will be important on the roadmap there. That's a very charitable reading of where they're going with all this. But I don't know. What other cards they have? Like I don't, I don't know what the other paths there are to relevance outside of attempting to be a premium content provider. Because people will still keep buying Xboxes, but it seems like we're trending in a direction where you are, like th- people were joking about them in the FTC uh, uh, bits, where they're like, "Yeah, man, like no one gives a shit about us. Like we suck. Like we're out here. How could you stop this this acquisition?" 
and I, I don't know. I know we're talking big numbers where it's like hard to fathom like what it means to suck, but like there's increasing evidence that they seem to understand like, yeah, this ain't working for us. Like we got, I don't know, man, we got to try something else. And, and, and maybe this is or isn't it, but it does seem to be maybe a reading of, of the room that we're just never going to get back to those 360 days. So what does it mean to be something fundamentally different? I totally agree with you on the the potential of the day one and then the one year or like X months after. And I think their thing is they'll be a lot more transparent about what that looks like. Or right. what's the math? Why are you buying PlayStation's never really, yeah. really talked about their PC, like stuff, like at least public facing, like, you know, fan facing. They were just kind of like, and now it's on PC. And it's like, so what can we expect in the future? And they're like, that is all the time we have, <laughs> you know? And I think it's because, you know, they don't, they want to keep, you know, the console in mind, the platform in mind, like they're doing it later. So they're like, okay, we can kind of have our cake and eat it too. And stands can't get too mad because if, if you were really into this game, you probably played it the first day it came out. So I do think that'll be their angle. I think you bringing up the, them move heading to where the industry is moving is interesting because I feel like Xbox is always trying to do that. And often people are like, we hate that you did this. So I just, <laughs> I'm wondering, like, and I, and I don't know what they're going to say and how they're going to say it. It's going to be incredibly important to message this as, as best as they can, because people are locked and loaded, ready to go. They're like, say the line, the gun is pointed at them. Like, <laughs> I, I think the only thing that they could do that wouldn't make people too mad would be the, oh, it's still going to be day one here. But then like, you know, we want. We love Starfield so much that we're sending it elsewhere. You know, like, I think that's going to be the sell. The like, and then we can, you know, everyone will have those conversations about, well, again, having, you know, it's good for the development, you know, more people can play it. And actually, actually, Xbox is, is they care more about games than anybody because they're doing, you know, that'll be, I think, the way it gets sold. But as far as longevity, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious as to, what do they believe that they can bring to the table and do well? And like, in what ways are they trying to move in that direction? Because I'm not sure if they are they looking for what sticks or do they really have this is the plan. We're going to work the plan and see what those yeah, results are and then move year, down the thing. Right. Like yes. how much of this is the next 10 years of Xbox and how much of this is a panic over, you know, Game Pass numbers stagnating and trying to find a way to make the financials of Xbox make more sense uh for 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 the company well and i think to that point like one of one of the things just lurking in the in the back of this for me is to what degree is xbox choosing to do this at all versus it is being dictated to at this point by microsoft because if you like so one of the things we touch on touch on in that piece is uh the xbox one is this weird uh like pan microsoft showpiece is the way they introduced it it is like and and all the uh you know all the liege lords from the Microsoft Empire have contributed their expertise to the Xbox One here. Uh, you know, Minister Skype, come tell us what you will do for the gamers. Uh, ah, hardware is here. Connect, <laughs> connect is such a brilliant device. Surely you want it at the center of your home and your lives. All these things, all these things are there. They're they're, and behind that, there's this notion of all these different parts of Microsoft are trying to figure out like. One, there's a little bit of Apple envy for sure. It's like we can we can be this incredible ecosystem that draws people in and becomes like sort of the go to uh, one stop shop for a ton of 
functions you need in your life. All that's there. Um, it, it feels in a lot of ways like a much more ambitious version of Microsoft back in 2013 that is much more interested in like consumer tech uh, than they have become since then. But the other thing is, it kind of reflects this idea that all of Microsoft was to some extent behind the Xbox program. And also to an extent that Xbox itself also was beholden to the other parts of Microsoft to like integrate parts of their functionality and sort of, and and sort of showcase them. Now it might well be that after, you know, decades of like watching money set on fire, uh, making Xboxes and watching them not sell to expectations and watching market share shrink. Uh, you know, when you read that quote from Nadella, there is a bit of, I just don't want to be in the business of like grinding out console exclusives and fighting for that. Like I just like, do you have any idea how small that business is relative to the scale of things that I, you know, CEO of Microsoft am concerned with. And I do wonder to an extent if, you know, at this point there is a bit of, we're not giving you like, we're not giving you infinite slack here to continue pursuing this this strategy to continue, continue doing what you're doing with Xbox. Uh, I almost kind of wonder if, you know, the Activision acquisition ends up kind of being the moment things begin to sour a bit, where it's just like, okay, you know, now we have acquired the biggest publisher we possibly can. How do we think this is going to change the trajectory? And if it can't, if it won't, uh, especially given the promises that they, that they made, you know, obviously pivoting to we're just going to be a, a huge publisher with some proprietary platform stuff. Um, that is a way to spin that. And that's a thing you can do with all those acquisitions you, you, you've acquired. But it now feels like we're, we're well afield from this idea of all these acquisitions are going to strengthen the Xbox platform, whatever that means, that they're going to become part of a brand that is like, you know, uniquely Xbox. And now it's going to be, we're just going to put <laughs> all these important games we're making. They're just going to sell everywhere. Uh, so I, I do wonder to an extent if this is like Microsoft starting to curtail just their willingness to continue investing in the Xbox division. Uh, you know, I mean, if you were, if you worked in Xbox hardware, right? Like none of this makes you feel good. <laughs> Think about the future of your job. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're somebody who's like in the in the business of like you know scoping out what is the next console going to going to going to look like, uh, this doesn't make me feel inspired. It doesn't make me feel super confident that there's going to be a lot of like uh, interest in you know going to, going to this rodeo again. So like the like the the thing that for me is like a little bit and concerning because I think for the most part here's the here's the thing a lot of this is you know probably pretty good news like. Playing more games everywhere is awesome. It's convenient. Yeah. Uh, yes. Tearing down these sort of artificial walls uh, is is great. Like, dude, I remember I was a PC gamer in the 2000s. It fucking sucked. It was just like, you know, month <laughs> after month of the games were still good, but the sheer number of things that were just kind of needlessly like, well, you can't have that because your platform is full of pirates. It'll just go to these two <laughs> other platforms. Uh, it was just, it was annoying because eventually that stuff would come, but it'd be years later and it was, it was very frustrating. Like having these sort of artificial, you know, boundaries put down uh, where you can play what you want to play is, is annoying. Seeing that stuff go away is, is cool. But the thing that I think scares me a little bit is there are a lot of game developers and a lot of studios tied up now to the fortunes of Xbox. 
And if Microsoft is like, Xbox, what are we doing over there? That makes me very concerned for everything now that hinges on Microsoft's belief that Xbox is something worth continuing to invest heavily in. I don't, the thing, the thing I'll say, sure. Can we look back at five years? Might we see Xbox spun out or sold in, in Pete? But like, Nadella's not an idiot. Like you don't make, you don't push so hard for the Activision deal unless you have some belief in what is happening next for Xbox. And I think you're right that that deal, how hard they pushed for it, the concessions they made, the centrality of Call of Duty being, you know, absent a lot of stuff coming from the King side on Activision uh, with the, with the mobile games, like Call of Duty is your, like your cash cow. It's the thing that's going to generate you the most amount of money immediately as soon as the ink dries and you are able to push the bank accounts in a different direction. And the moment that stays multi-platform, I just don't think Microsoft gets into that high profile fight unless at some point during that fight, before that fight, shortly after that fight, there was an understanding this is this is the new direction we're going in. And I, I have to imagine Microsoft was very coy about, like, what are we doing with Activ- Activision uh, after you guys acquire it? You're announcing some Game Pass games that are coming there? No. What's happening with Activision? Like, what's, how does it integrate with Xbox? Hmm. To be determined. Um, and all of their messaging for, uh, like, a, the Xbox Developer Direct, in their PR emails, they would specifically put, we are not talking about Activision Blizzard, um, which made me think they were having an. And that's not just the layoffs were coming and they're doing integrations, but that that might be part and parcel with a fundamental shift in direction. Because what Activision represents, which is you make big games, you sell it everywhere, you maximize profit. That may have ripple down consequences for the Xbox brand, the types of games they make, what they prioritize. But I, I don't see in the immediate future that necessarily taking them out of Xbox as a brand. Because otherwise, I just don't think you go through the, 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 the public bruising to get to that point. I also still think they make hardware. Like, hardware is like, still going to be important from a like, Game Pass, like carrot and stick standpoint. I think what you'll end up seeing is them emphasizing more their services and the benefits. Like, look. If we don't have to be sad every time the reports come out that we're losing three to one on PlayStation, they can say, well, because the hardware is no longer our metric for six. You know what I mean? Like if Game Pass, that being viable, number go up on that, plus sales coming in from a a Starfield on PlayStation, you can sort of start sweeping the the, the depressing hardware sales under the rug because you can then just make the argument that that is a funnel for our most hardcore enthusiast players. We're going to make them the happiest on our platform, but we're happy to sell it to people who'd rather play it with a dual sense. And I think that's how they end up spinning slash looking at this, this idea. And so I still think they will put, they will put out a next generation Xbox. Um, It'll just have a slightly different priority list in terms of who it's catering to. Well, and, and to that, I would say, I would say this, like, Sometimes I think we can overstate how irrevocable stuff is. Like if if it's if it's clear from this that they're kind of like punting on this generation, like they're still going to support the Xbox, but maybe it's like, uh, you know, the Series S. We don't need to 
we'll hook that up to some game streaming so you can play stuff like that looks good but like series x is now just what we're like that's mm-hmm. basically what like what games are gonna be running on is Ser- series x and series s you're gonna be streaming stuff <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to that series s we'll give you a deal yeah uh because this this concept didn't really uh you know work out the way we the way we hoped but like it could be that they are like kind of punting on the generation and, and sort of admitting that like, you know, we're continue to try sell these if you really want an Xbox, but it's no longer a thing we're pushing as hard. And you can always come back at the next cycle and be like, man, we just had so many good ideas for the future of Xbox that like, you're going to be so excited about this new box we're selling you. It's Microsoft's big return to ambitious hardware. Aren't you, aren't you excited? And I'd be excited. I'd be like, <laughs> because this is because I think inseparable for some of my reaction to this is like, this is entirely like I'm aware. Like so much of this shit is like unsustainable, environmental, irresponsible, uh, you know, <laughs> destructive to like livelihoods and careers. I get it, <laughs> but I like a circus, <laughs> and. That is sometimes how I feel about the console wars mm-hmm. is every time we do the dog and pony show of like, and here's what the future is going to be. I like that you have competing visions for this and being trotted out. I think Rob gets for out me the clap, 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 clap. Yes. Show me, show me. <laughs> yeah. And I think like, I, I think some of my diagnosis is like in 20, like back with Xbox one, Microsoft had a, had a vision of the future and it sucked. <laughs> Like it was, it was almost right. It was almost right, but they were just a little bit wrong. And this is how you end up. Like you built the Edsel, right? This is, you know, you were like, uh, this building obviously needs a Zeppelin dock. This is how you end up in that territory. Like the Xbox one was like, you know, obviously the future is dirigibles. (laughs) But I think kind of the weird thing is Phil Spencer's reaction has clearly been like, we need to just like focus on the games. Just like be a platform where we just like make good games. We sell them to people. But I think to an extent, like some of the sizzle of the console is, you know, here's what's going to be special about it. Here's what's going to be impressive. Here's how it's going to, like, improve your experience of your favorite hobby, maybe also your life. And I, th- and I think they struggled. To, I think with, with Series X, they struggled to make that case. It was just so clearly a, it's a box what plays games. It's very powerful. You're going to love it. And it was cool, but as someone coming from the Xbox One X, it was like super marginal. I think they'd already sold you on hardware upgrades with the One X. It was really cool when they rolled that out. It was like a breath of fresh air and a a hardware generation that felt chronically underpowered. But now the PlayStation was equivalent, and the PlayStation was nifty, uh, selling a lot of similar features and snappy responsiveness, and had a huge slate of really popular exclusives. And I think this is this is the other thing that I find concerning about this um sometimes we probably go too hard on microsoft for like not delivering the goods but i think if you're going to stake the case on like we just need to focus on the games like you know we just need to bring the games to the people and they have to be good games but they really do have to be good games like there have to be a lot of good games coming out of these resources and uh i'm not sure that you know, in the last several years, Microsoft has has demonstrated that they can effectively like manage that pipeline to deliver uh, deliver the games. Uh, I think a lot of their flagship properties have kind of been devalued, uh, you know, over the last decade. And that's maybe not the fault of the hardware faltering, but 
the fact that like the content side of things, uh, the stuff that's going to be played on those consoles just kind of loses its place in the culture is not a, is not a great place to find yourself, especially as you're on the eve of contemplating this pivot to we're going to bring Microsoft games everywhere. Well, I think it's the only way that you find yourself on that eve, you know, like that's, there's a reason no one else has like thought about, you know what I mean? Like it's, I think it does speak to the shift in what the market has become for them. But yeah, it's tough with the, with the software stuff. It's always been the thing I've been hearing for years and years and years is like, oh, but it's kind of the the next summer I'm fun mindset, right? It's like, oh, it's like right around the corner. Like Microsoft is always sell Xbox is always selling that they're right around the corner from everything they've been working towards finally like bearing fruit and there's not necessarily a lot of fruit. And then when you bite out of that fruit, you're like, I don't know. How was your apple? Cause I feel like mine was a little mushy and it's like, Oh, I liked mine. I'm like, I don't know. It's like, it's even when it's positive, it's not. And then again, then the pressure just mounts and mounts and mounts. Like we talk about this for every major Xbox release. Is this going to be the one that is, you know, the critical acclaim, the nines and the tens and everything ends up having to be that because they have so little that comes out. It just, it's been a rough go for a long time. I think when it comes to, you know, looking at that ecosystem and seeing what does it produce and what is its place. Um, And then it just, I don't know, there's a lot of, um, it's been interesting seeing the reactions like online, which I've seen very like, not a lot of because I don't follow people that would have (laughs) visceral react, you know, and I haven't seen a lot on my timeline. But the reason that this ends up being so like i've seen a lot of people talk about like well why are like stands so angry about this and besides the fact that their stands and by nature stands operate in emotional extremes is the i keep buying into what you've been selling me and now you're gonna sell something else but like i spent so much time and money buying into that original plan and i think the idea of that shifting from what we've known the gaming market to be as is one that feels like well then so you're telling me i could have had God of War and Starfield? Why did I come out here? So um, that's going to be, I think, a reckoning for sure. But um, yeah, it's just stuff just has not ever really come out like that. It's it's interesting you guys talking about the idea of what if Xbox does eventually make the shift into just being kind of like a big publisher that has this amazing service. And I think the Ubisoft comparison is so apt, especially with like Ubisoft subscription service where like they're trying... It's like weird seeing everyone try to like take these different ideas and kind of see what sticks. And I'm curious internally, what, what do you want to stick? And then what actually are you seeing stick on your end? Um, and is there, is it really anything or is it just kind of trying to figure out, Hey, maybe this next thing is going to be the thing that like pops off. The one thing I'll be sad about if, uh, if, if Rob is right and they kind of largely exit the hardware business is, I have enjoyed, even though I don't really turn on, I, like once Microsoft went full in on PC, I stopped and I bought a good PC. Like I stopped turning on my Xbox. I don't know when I've turned on my Series X and it's not a knock against it. It's because when I play most of those games, like I could play it better on my computer. But like, fucking, I've really enjoyed the last like five years, Microsoft's insistence on like really getting backwards compatibility, not just right, but like fundamentally enhancing and making those those games better bringing pc like experiences which is the if you've never owned a pc the fun of getting a new pc or a new graphics card and loading an old game and going damn 
Like that sings just like when I like hits just like it did when I played that game for the first time six or eight years ago. And they really put a, a really cool, not just nostalgia bait, but like it's one of the, like one of those times where Spencer's like public bullshit lined up with what they were actually doing, which is like we care about games, the history of games, and they put their money where their mouth was. They put engineers to like get huge amounts of the 360 platform to function well on the Series S and X and not just play, but like the equivalent of playing on PC where it's like unlock frame rate, games looking better, running 4K. Like, do they stop doing stuff like that? Like things like quick resume, which people are still deathly afraid to put their PS5 in rest mode. I've never had that experience where it crashes my machine, but I know, I think Brad Shoemaker still does this. Like had chronic issues at launch, just just stop putting in rest mode. You quit the game, you you shut you shut the machine down. And like quick resume in Xbox is sick. Like the like the fact that you redeem like one like the, on the on the PlayStation, it's still oh confu- it's still confusing. You can still accidentally download a PS4 version of the fucking game. Like they haven't like there are good things that come as a result of like hardware UI competition. Um and in this scrappier area of Xbox, I think they have done a decent job of coming up with novel ideas in their hardware. And it just hasn't been married with like the right software to make people give like it's edge case stuff. Like I care, but the person looking at like, you know, me or the PS five memes, like doesn't really give a shit about like quick resume or the fact that 360 launch games run sick on a ser- on a series X. But I, I love that stuff. And so that's why I hope some of this stuff sticks around and maybe they double down on it on the hardware, which is like, hey, like th- these are things you're only going to get here as part of that service. I don't know, but I'll, I'll miss that. Like, do we do we arrive at the Switch if the Wii U, if Nintendo packs it in after the Wii U is a complete flop? Like, probably not. You know, we don't. And so that that part, video games have always been tied to hardware innovation for better or worse, right? Like, on some level, we want games to be everywhere. On another level, I think it's awesome the DS existed and it kind of sucks we'll never play those games again because there's no way to functionally play them because it was tied to the hardware. But I'll miss that part of video games if that's the direction we're heading in, which is just the, an evolution of the 360 controller and a display, um, if, if that's like the, the end state for games. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for years, like when, this, when the Xbox One X came out, um, that replaced my PC pretty extensively. Like, except for stuff I had to play with a mouse, it was like, it was so much better than my PS4. It was better than my, you know, two-year-old video card. It was, it was genuinely like, damn, this has become like the best place to play games. And I remember when they sent the review consoles out and I was playing the, the Series X. And I was like, uh-oh. Like, for one, there just weren't many exclusives. Like, like the, the review, the, 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 the launch Series X came, and it was like, here's a bunch of codes for stuff. And it was, like, old stuff. And, like, yeah, it ran great on the Series X, but it's like, I don't know that, like, should I be playing, should I be sitting here with a launch console and I'm playing Untitled Goose Game? I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's the, the way that you want things to go. Uh, but, I, like, I sometimes wonder, if micro just this is the weird counterfactual if Microsoft should have just taken embraced the opportunity the the one X gave them, which was to get out of cycle with the PS5 with the with the PlayStation. Uh that you know you can let hardware improve for two years and like you seed the field, but then you can like people who are like, Man, I want to play you know, 
I want my games to look better. Two years after the PS5, you know, now Microsoft is rolling out something new. Uh, you know, maybe that's a way to shift the narrative rather than losing head-to-head matches again and again. But yeah, I think there's there's a lot of things they did that were were admirable with with how the platform works and and how they've let like, sort of the the games uh, you know left the games playable in other places. I think it's just. A lot of this also reflects that it's just so hard now uh, to to make the case uh, for for a spe- for a particular piece of hardware. Um, yeah, I'm I am very curious. We've had this whole conversation. I still feel like I don't know what I'm going to hear from from Microsoft. Yeah, like I still feel like I have no idea what they're going. I could see it basically being a complete surrender, right? Where it's like, I don't know. We're going to sell some video games. You like them? We'll still make boxes, but I can see it being that. Or I could see them coming up with some sort of like, here's a really ambitious vision. And what you've seen is like the tip of that iceberg. But like there's a there's a much broader like vision for what Xbox gaming means from here. I could see that happening. Uh, but right now, you know, what we know is it just feels like Xbox as we have known it. They're kind of like winding down that strategy. And I just don't know what replaces it. I think the fact that they're not just issuing a comment and are promising whatever this is going to be. Like there have been reports that there was going to be an event of some kind by the end of February. I think that timeline has been (laughs) moved up a little bit because the house feels on fire. I expect the latter, Rob. I would be shocked if this was just like, hey, Sea of Thieves and Hi-Fi Rusher are coming to PlayStation and Switch. Stay tuned for further announcements from Xbox. Like this feels, or at least I would be disappointed. And I think they would disappoint a lot of people. And I don't think they'd solve any of their problems if they didn't come out swinging big. And like this is a E three like like launch of a platform style. What's next? Um, because with I'm not saying they're still going to say. And here's a chart that shows. When Indiana Jones comes out and when it hits the PlayStation, MCU you know, like I, don't, <laughs> I don't think they're going to be that specific, but um, I think if they want to instill, like if they still care about, you know, we, we can make poke fun at the at the stands and it's worth poking fun at. Like it's there is some really <laughs> toxic shit that's been going on in light of all this. But if you're trying to get the fire out, the way you do that is explain Explain what's next. Like, why are we doing this? Like, how did we arrive here? And here's our vision going forward. You might disagree with it. It might frustrate you. Maybe it makes you go get a PlayStation instead of an Xbox. But fundamentally, like, if they've sold the vision correctly, they don't, they don't care that you did that. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping it's more than a blog post and is actually a fundamental, like, here's what we're doing. We've thought it through. This is what the next, you know, three years of Microsoft looks like. and and it's big. So I don't know. I'm, 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 I gotta be honest. Like this is just on a core level, a little more exciting than, well, Xbox still kind of sucks at like matching PlayStation blow to blow. You know what I mean? Like at least it's different. Um, and on that level, it's kind of exciting and interesting just as a, you know, industry observer that has been around covering games since (laughs) the rock came out with Bill Gates to show that original xbox uh i mean this is oh the xbox has always been a very odd 
endeavor. It was not you think a the natu- Rock will come back for this, or well, he's desperate right now. I <laughs> I don't know if you've seen. I don't watch wrestling, but I've seen a couple of the clips of him trying to go out there and do. I can just get out there and be charming and taunting again. Like, bro, you got to work at this. Like, you can't just like get out there. Like, sometimes he seemed pretty bad in the clip I saw. But I don't put it past him. Um, he <laughs> seems desperate. But um, but Xbox has always just been an odd match. Xbox, like Microsoft is a boring software company. Um, and Xbox was just never, the business never made sense for them. Um, they don't make movies. They don't make TV shows. They don't make, you know, they don't publish books. Like, they sell enterprise software. What the fuck are you doing in video games? And it's like I put, you know, this is a place for us to close, Rob, like in, in our piece. I was like, on some level, this is just Xbox understanding if it has a place in video games, how do we do it at the enterprise software level? And it's you balling, buying Call of Duty and just cashing a check from everyone that will give you one. And that may be boring and less exciting. And, and I hope they still let Double Fine make weird shit. But on some level, like Microsoft was always destined to arrive here because it's what the company's identity is. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to that. Um, I hope it is a better vision than that because there are so <laughs> many like not because not only is that a little boring, but like, man, again, there are so many jobs and careers now tied to yeah. what they do with Xbox. Um, you know, they can like shaving off a few jobs of their total workforce is a huge number of people lose that who, who losing their livelihoods. Like this is, you know, when you're talking about a company this big, like, you know, the, the sort of static in the signal of, of the, the well-being of that business uh, can, can be really catastrophic. And if their strategy increasingly turns into like hunt, like basically bigger Activision, uh, you know, just like sell our few tent poles. Um, I'm not sure the, the way they structured the business and all the stuff they've acquired fits uh, with that strategy. And it's certainly not what I want no, from look, all that look, development look what happened talent. To look what happened to Raven. Look what happened to High Moon. Like, you all just become a support studio. Um, and if that's the end game of, of all of this is a number of high-end franchises that just print money and then support studios, that's both depressing and also, you're right, like, the industry at this current moment, on some like on some like, like an existential level, like on a not an existential, like on a fundamental level, kind of needs Xbox to keep going. There aren't, there is not a place. If Xbox was to collapse, and tens, hundreds of thousands of jobs suddenly became available, there's nowhere for those people to go. You have Tencent out here, like whatever your grievances about Tencent aside, saying like, ah, eh, this gaming stuff. I'm not really sure it makes it makes sense. It's like when you have international infinite money conglomerates going not sure about this video game thing that's a fucking scary place for the like at capital i industry to be it's separate from the medium the medium of games will continue forever but as an industry you need xbox to figure their shit out because like it can't sustain it crashing there are just nowhere for those people to go and that would be a level of crash that we have not seen in literal decades. That's what gets you closer to an industry crash of, of the eighties. It doesn't collapse video games as a medium, but it fundament, like it would be a crisis. Yeah. Uh, well, we will know more soon. I hope, uh, 
you know, we'll we'll obviously have some reactions to that next week, and we're gonna laugh at how wrong we were. Uh, you know, we'll, they just we'll announced that. Hi-Fi Rush is on Switch now. Thanks for watching. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, or the cylinder, the the the. the... <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with uh, some of the games we're playing and some emails, and I, that might be it for news. Uh, I don't, yeah, I'm not I sure there's, there's much else. Yeah, so we'll be back after this. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What <laughs> changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar or you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately, my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately, for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's right, that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off.
And we're back. Uh, Patrick and Janet, you've been playing uh, a bit of Suicide Squad. Patrick only touched on it briefly uh, last week. I'm curious to hear more formed impressions at this point. Yeah. I like I like this game. <laughs> hey! Oh my uh, god. I, Look at yeah. you, Suicide take, take Squad. Me, take me on a take me on a ride. Who's your main? What's going on? Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn's my main um, okay. because uh, she's got a she got a hook shot. Uh, I wish that I, I I now I think I've played eight ish hours of of the game. I uh, spoilers if you don't want this confirmed from the game's title. Skip ahead a minute, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I've killed two members of the Justice League. Um, like yes. that's 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 where I'm at in the, in the story good? so far. Um, ah, well, it's I've, they're You're dead. What chapter are you in? I don't know what chapter. I'm about to go find Batman. Um, uh, okay, you're probably farther than me. I only killed the Flash. Yeah, I've so killed, I've killed the first one. I don't know. You guys know who the Justice League is. I, like, yeah, the, the title not. of the game is Kill the Justice League. Yeah, I've killed. I kill Green Lantern. And then I'm 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 on to the to the next sequence uh, from. Okay, from yeah, there. you're a bit farther than me, and you're pretty far in, I think. I, I think, think the game's so. like seven chapters or something. I, lo- I, you know, I like look. looked at the I looked it up to see how long it is. <laughs> so I, did, I I I love a game that uh, and this you know, happens more often with folks in our uh, line of work where you're you're just trying to measure like where am I at in the game, how do I yeah. budget my time, yada yada. Some games give you a percentage uh, marker. Other games, you have to use other uh, uh, tools. Uh, for this one, it's uh, for me, it's the uh, support squad members who are basically you have, it's like Penguin, uh, some other characters like Gizmo. Like essentially, your it's your upgrade paths to like get. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, you can craft a different items. You can get uh, specific uh, like perks on or re-roll them on on your weapons. And like it has a grid. It just shows you how many you're eventually going to do. And so, like, as those fill out, like, I've done, right, like, right. three of the five for a bunch of them. Like, okay, so I'm about two-thirds through the game, probably. Um, so I'm a, I'm a decent way through whatever the story is in this live service game. I mean, what I will say uh, is it's a deeply flawed video game. Um, but what is here and what I've tried to take at what it is rather than what I wish it was um, which I understand is going to be like a bridge too far for a lot of people. They just kind of wish Rocksteady had made a just straight up, you know, Justice League Arkham style. Like, I, I'm with you. I wish they had made that game too. Um, because every time you watch one of the cutscenes in this game, which are terrific, I really like the story. I really like the writing. I've I've even come around on uh, like King Shark just being ripped out of Guardians of the Galaxy and playing that same character. But the voice actor is great. The writing's really funny. I'm endeared to all these characters. Like that part they have nailed. It feels, uh, if not as good as what Rocksteady's done in the past, like it fits. Like the cutscenes are, there is a fight that you haven't gotten to yet, uh, Janet, um, involving, uh, Wonder Woman and Superman that is fucking spectacular. Like the staging of it, the oomph, like it's just, it's, it, it truly is fantastic. And the way they juxtapose your characters during these, it's just, it's great. I love it. Um, and I think the combat is a lot of fun. The enemies are as generic looking as you'll get. They are not interesting to look at at all. But the loop of this game, which is like the combat loop is you are constantly managing 
your shield. <laughs> uh, like that is sort of like the core loop of what's happening. Is like I'm your so armor. excited to get into this. <laughs> yeah. Um. So like you don't really have a health bar. Like, but you have a shield bar that functions as your health bar. Uh. And and once your shield is gone, you are desperately looking to get some more of it. And the way you get that is by teeing up enemies in a certain way, like shooting at their legs, which sort of uh critically injure them. They're not quite dead, but then you can use a special attack that kills them and then drops a bunch of shield icons. And so like that is a uh like a big part of like what you're doing moment to moment in a lot of the fights, uh alongside a lot of traversal or uh doing different combat challenges. Um but like that is like kind of the the main flow of what you're doing in a lot of the combat sequences in in the game. And I I I quite like how all the characters feel. I think the guns feel like pretty good. I think the traversal is really interesting for each different character. Like Harley Quinn has a hookshot that really allows you to zip all over the map. You know, King Shark has like you shoot in the air or you shoot at like a 45 degree angle. Uh, Boomerang has this uh, disc that uses the speed force from the flash that you basically like whip into the air and so you can like whip it and then like shoot something and then you'll whoo, zip like way across the map. Uh, and then Deadshot has this kind of funky, hard to jet wield <laughs> jetpack. But then once you kind of get your like your hands around it, like how it functions, it, it feels really good. And all that stuff works really well for me. Where it kind of doesn't quite fall apart, or I, where I wish, even in this live service model, it worked better. And I imagine this is where many of your grievances are probably going to come up, Janet. We can get into those. Is the missions are just boring. Like the mission design is is just fundamentally lifeless and boring because so much of it is like, hey man, like you've shown up to get an upgrade for one of your upgrade guys back at the back at the Hall of Justice, like. Uh, go capture three civilians and bring them back to this truck, or like the here are th- civilians. Yes, yeah. Like here, here are three uh cannons. Can you can you take them out? And it's a lot of live servicey banal activities that you can imagine grinding in an end game to fit, like to get proper loot to spec out your character in a certain way. And I thought for a while, Janet. Oh. This is just the tutorial level of the game explaining to me the different activities. And then there's going to be like the missions that like we go on and the the custom content, the stuff that feels really handcrafted and authored. And there's not a lot of that here. It is mostly these sorts of activities over and over again. Um, So that's where I've landed on the game so far. Uh, Sounds like maybe you have a little more to, 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 to grind against it, but I'm I'm curious. No, it, it's, I mean, I probably do, but it's more that, like, I'm just excited to talk. I don't know. Like, I'm just a nerd talking about games. So I'm like, I'm just excited to talk about the actual specifics of the game. Because I think, unfortunately, a lot of times when it comes to a game like Suicide Squad, it kind of is like, I feel like the conversation ends at, yeah, it wasn't that interesting. And then we just kind of walk away. I was like, but let's unpack, like, what works. What doesn't work. Like, I don't know, you know? So I'm like, this. I've been living for this. Um, I played, like... Two or three sessions uh, would have probably got further, but the server crashed at one point, so we had to <laughs> stop playing. And I do had multiple, else. I've had it's incredibly frustrating where I I uh, put it in like I've had this happen twice now where I put the PS5 into rest mode, come back up, get into the game, and then like I'll move the character around, and it's like oh shit, we lost connection to the server, bro. 
And then it mm. gets into a cycle where it can't reconnect. And then I have to close the app, go back into it again. And that's that's frustrating. Although it is nice that you can pause the game. Like, even though it's a live service thing, like, it's you can, in the midst of whatever's going on. Does it stop what's pause. happening, though? Yes. I'm pretty yes. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty, like I'm pretty sure. Shot. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, I'm playing with uh, my boyfriend, Isaiah. He is. We've been kind of trying to play all the characters. Um, I have spent most of my time with. Harley Quinn, and now I'm on Deadshot. I think I'm just going to stick with Deadshot. Mm -hmm. I really like Deadshot. I'll get into more of that in a second. But my overarching is I'm definitely cooler on the game than you. Like, I wouldn't say, like, it's like am I enjoying my time? I don't know. And the fact that I have to think about it <laughs> probably means probably means not quite, right? Uh -huh. But it's it's wild because I... I'm like, let me tell y'all about the pantheon of of games that people wanted to be good that weren't that good, right? I've done Gotham Knights. I've done Marvel's Avengers. I've even done that Saints Row game that didn't end up being good. Like, <laughs> I've been living in... I visit Mid-City often, so I was like... Okay, me too. I, I got... Yes. And I love so, finishing Mid-City games, right? Like, I am yes, going to see this so game much. all the way to the end because... Well, also, I think this game is important because yeah. it is going to be like a touchstone that we look back on over the games that were approved, the trends that games chased. Um, like, I, I think Suicide Squad is going to prove to be central in the discussion of something that sort of like Destiny started, you know, yeah. even though I'm not necessarily that's the first live service game, but like, I think a lot of games started chasing it after, after Destiny took off. And then Suicide Squad is this point where a lot of people went, uh-oh. <laughs> maybe there was maybe there was another way so i want to finish it and engage with it because and i am enjoying it i'm not doing it yeah. purely to drag myself across across nails i stayed up for an extra half hour last night i have, I have a very strict go to bed at midnight i went to bed at 12 30 because i wanted to finish a mission Ooh. in the game and so <laughs> I, I don't do that because i need to i did that because yeah i was having a good time but i do think i'm with you on engaging with games like this especially when they they i think they are instructive about game design, industry trends, because I think this game represents a lot of crossover and nexus points on, on that at, our, uh, at the current moment. Yeah, I think so far, even though my, you know, the various different styles of like games, like even just looking at like, you know, Gotham Knights versus Suicide Squad, even the life service bit apart, just like the what you're doing, like Gotham Knights, you could be like stealthy and just kind of like hang out. And then mm -hmm. this is much more action, obviously. So obviously there are different styles and my sensibilities are more of a, you know, I like stealth over like shooting a bunch of stuff. Like I'm not big into shooters. But that being said, like it's pretty solid. Like I don't know how much I like it, but also I have to take into account that my gaming sensibilities are. It's like I don't really, I'm not really interested in shooters. I don't do life service. I don't care for multiplayer, and I don't really care about the Justice League. So it's like, why am I here? Because it's a video game. <laughs> you know, it's a video game. So I'm like, all right, let's pull up. Like why not? And my partner wanted to play, and I want to check it out. And with that being said, I do think that gunplay loop that you described of shield being your main thing is fascinating. Like, I think it offers a slightly different lane than, like, just blow a bunch of stuff up. And while I definitely back your, like, yes, the missions are very repetitive. And even in the variety, there's repetition because they'll be like, Penguin needs, like, his crew. Go get three of them. And then they're like... We need the civilians. Go get three of them. Like, okay. I, and I know that it's in a lot of games do that. Like where it's, you know, I playing Spider-Man, which I think is kind of the, the current pinnacle of like what a superhero video game can be in the modern era. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of the same stuff. Take out these guys. Now I get yes. a sand statue. Take out these guys. Now I get, I don't know, something else. Like, but you don't notice it as, you know, again, there's a, there's like a way to like dress it 
and hide it and kind of trick me into the feeling of variety that I think Suicide Squad really did not pull off. Um, but I think that gameplay flow that they offer is intriguing with having to get the shield. And I like that in a lot of the side content, which we've, there's so much stuff back here. We've been pursuing some side content because I'm desperate to get an interesting cosmetic in this game. Isn't live service supposed to be about like the basic shit, right? Shooting stuff, getting stuff. Where's the stuff? Like, and I get there's guns and like, I think the upgrades you get are like super solid. They make it really simple, which just rarity. So it's like, you don't got to read a lot of, you know, divvy up the numbers and all that. That's fine. But I'm, I'm like, can I just get a fun pair of pants? Can I make the shark guy look silly? Like, and they have like stuff for sale, but even the stuff for sale doesn't look that good. So I'm just like, we're so we're out here looking for like, where can we get some good pants? And we're just doing any mission we can to try to find me pants that satisfy me. Um, but within doing that, one thing I think is is pretty fun and where they do add variety is they'll have like missions, but they'll have like modifiers on them. Like yeah, enemies I enjoy only this take. Stuff. Yes, enemies only take damage through grenade. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I got to be like on my P's and Q's with my grenade. Enemies only take damage from this shield thing. Enemies only take damage from critical hit. And all of that works really well. And I think teaching you what the nuances of the combat can be and making you like more internally powerful, which I think is kind of a fun thing that you don't often think about with like, especially a live service game where it's like, well, it's the grind and the loot and the XP and all that. But I can like feel the ways that I've become a better player in this game because the game brought me there. And I think that definitely should be complimented because I think that's to me, the biggest strength um, in this. It's also interesting, Patrick, I don't know where you fall on the, the, the overwhelm. That's a big thing I've heard from people watching this game or, you know, before, after, during whatever is like, it's so visually overwhelming and it, it kind of is like you are like I do feel like I'm at a David. It's so Busters, much worse than like, screenshots. Like I, I find like playing the game spinning that I, around that, that I, I I know and I I shared a, a like a Justice League or a Suicide Squad screenshot like in a Discord. Some friends were we all made fun of the UI and it's like Jesus Christ! Like there's so much on the screen. But I have to be honest, like playing it. Well, one you can really customize the UI. You can get rid of a lot of yeah. it if you don't want to engage with it. Um, they probably should have done had cleaner screenshots <laughs> going out. Um, but this is stuff from like the alpha which you can't fully control but i, I don't know I, I have found as cluttered as it looks static in the uh the actuality of playing the game it all sort of drifts away and i'm focused on what i need to, to do i haven't i haven't messed with it i haven't messed with too much about removing things because i haven't felt that it's distracting while i'm i'm playing i'm playing the game it's got a lot going on but it all does serve a purpose like i don't think yeah. it's all there i don't think this is a um you know that that uh mimi screenshot of elden ring which is like if elden ring was made by ubisoft and they layered yeah. on all their stuff i this is not that this is th- these are here for different reasons accomplishing different tasks which and... also maybe i would have finished elden ring i don't know like, <laughs> I mean, like everyone wants to throw away wow, ui but then sometimes we came I don't for don't nod last week we're coming for elden ring this week like are you just going down a list it's time to well. Here's the thing. I'm like, it's, why are we only coming for double A and Indy? Like, let's let some of the <laughs> some of the big ones get a little bit of the heat too. Um, no, but genuinely, like, I, I would agree with that. Like, it is a lot, and you're like spinning around a lot. So it it's overwhelming in that sense. But like, I'm also overwhelmed. Like, again, I just use Spider Man because it's another superhero game. But like, playing that can also kind of be I'm meter monitoring. 
but it can be still fun to do like you know so like i actually find it to be fine it's funny a lot of people hate the numbers that pop up like as you shoot things i kind of like the numbers like but like deadshot has um i think with the grenades like a bunch of casino numbers come up Mm -hmm. and there's like a cha-ching it hits i don't know like (laughs) am i basic probably a little bit but like but as you're like know, jetting, go, jetting you know, by, numbers go up. You turn over, you throw the grenade, and you see like ching 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 ching, and then you're like jetting off to go do something else. Like, uh, like it, like it's cool. Like it works. I, I, I like the fact that they have integrated aesthetic properties of the yeah. characters into what's happening on a moment to moment basis. And I have not found maybe that gets exhausting if you're playing this as a live service game, you know, and you're forty, fifty, sixty hours in. Maybe I can't, I can't speak to that as someone that's probably just going to finish the story content and then, and then bounce. Uh, but Same. I, I have found like, you can tell that they've tried to find meaningful ways to have the characters express their personalities, like through the actual like weapons and, and after effects. And, and that part is neat and is one of those moments where I wish I was playing this game with somebody else. I think you're probably getting for as much as I I'm liking the game or at least meeting it where, where it's at. Uh, and responding f- good enough to it, I guess I'd be getting so much more out of it if I had someone else that I was playing with. Because like the AI, like the bots that are with you, it's time to squat up, Patrick. Let's yeah, go. They're <laughs> fine, but like <laughs> motherfuckers, do something. Oh, just here's the thing. Do something. I have to ask myself: Do they know? Like I was, play- so I'm gonna play with my partner, and we're playing like in the same room, even though it's like not local. Like it's like we just have the two TVs, and they just have. The cut, also, the cutscenes surprisingly line up almost perfectly, which is kind of impressive. But, um, like, during, like, one of those missions with, like, get the civilians, because it was uh, with a modifier, so it was, like, I don't know, damage is only from, I don't know what you want, critical hits, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which, that stuff's not always perfect. I did run into, like, an enemy where I'm, like, I don't, because they explain what it, they, like, break down, like, what the How do the I do intel, a critical like, hit? Intel. I don't know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, how to do. For, like, and the, big, they, like, the bigger enemies, pictures. it's a little more confusing, yeah. Yeah, so, like, I was, like, what, what do I do here? And, anyway, we were struggling. Um, Isaiah had already died. Like, he had, and you get a few reses, but, like, his, he had gone through them. I was on my last one. I was, like, okay, no life to, one life to live, no sequel. Let's go, <laughs> you know? And I'm, like, spinning around, waiting. I'm, like, when's the next civilian going to come up? And I'm, like, I think I have to kill a certain amount. You do, and, yeah. Anyway, so I went in. I'm, tra- but everybody else, I'm like, do they even know <laughs> what the mission is? Like, no. I know they're des- the like, do they know like the modifiers on the mission? And they I don't. feel like the answer is no. No, that's these I wish they these were useless better. sacks of shit uh, are just like essentially the way the a- the AI operates is you- they sort of follow your lead. So when you go attacking an enemy, the 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 bots kite to where you're going and. The game smartly has audio indicators to explain, like, ha-ha, like, like, Harley, I'm coming to help you out. And you'll see, like, King Shark, like, scamper up and, like, firing at what you're doing. But he's just blindly firing at the enemy. So he's doing some level of DPS, like, some level of damage to the enemy. But if it's something specific, like, for example, uh, in the Green Lantern boss fight, you know, you have to take out what they call his constructs, like, the things that he's summoning— and that you like you're taking those out to make him vulnerable to to your attacks. You know who's taking out those constructs? Me. You know who's not taking out those constructs? Literally anybody else. And it does feel like your the game is not unmanageable. I have not found combat to be uh, all that difficult. I haven't felt myself like hitting a a reset screen all that often. But some of the 
challenges for some of the the sequences are you've got to be on your shit. Like you're not making any progress without hitting yeah. marker A so that you can do marker B. Like for example, one of them is I forget what the little kind of like squid like creatures are, but they mm-hmm. they'll scamper yes. around. You have to shoot them because they drop an item, which then buffs your weapon to do damage. So you're shooting them. You gotta be all red. Yeah, you got yeah, and, <laughs> like and it's cool. Like it's fun. Like it, it, again, it adds an interesting dynamic. Even if the mission structure is not that interesting, the challenge structure is making the mission like you're doing something fundamentally different instead of just bullet sponging uh, the same kind of uh, purple looking enemies. Uh, but it's like it's like we got to kill out 20 enemies. It's like, you know, who's killing all 20 me because no, nobody's nobody's contributing. And I know they want you if you're playing solo to feel like the hero. But everyone else is a zero mm. in this. In- like I need a little I want a little bit more from uh from the other from the other guys, uh, which makes me think this game must sing a lot more. Like it doesn't, it's not broken, but I bet I'd be having. If I was playing with Janet, I think I'd be having an, an exponentially more fun time based on how I'm reacting to the baseline sort of like combat and and traversal structure. I think especially with like the res aspect of it, which to this another thing I wanted to chat for this game is like it has the fastest. Which you could argue, I don't know, maybe some people wouldn't like this, but like. When you res like your teammate, it's done instantly. <laughs> I'm like, don't you don't have to worry about filling up the meter and then oh someone hit me and like you know and I gotta do it again. Like you just click like circle or whatever the button it prompt mm-hmm. is and then they're just back up, um, which is very convenient. But yeah, to your point with the AI, like I've like flown over to my like my partner and, and he's like yelling at the screen. He's like not literally because it's not that deep, but he's like <laughs> he's like the shark's just st- he's just standing there. He's standing there right next to me. Why <laughs> he won't do anything? And I, like I show up and sure enough like. Whole whole squad's just next to his corpse, like, <laughs> you know. Though you don't die, but it's like, oh, like I'm weak. Like I don't, you yeah. know. There's like a lore aspect to it, but, um, but yeah, it's I think too as far as working with the teammate, it is fun to get to divide and conquers like some of the challenges where you know you'll have like with the civilian one, it's like okay, well I'm gonna get civilian A or like let's both go and like you can shoot and I'll like grab them and like these other things. And again, it's not immensely deep strategy but it is a little something and i think Mm -hmm. it kind of keeps things going um as far as writing i'm not it's it's not like bad but i'm not as hot on it but i will say it has it has like you know little sparks like for me there's one i screenshotted from boomerang where uh he says to my massive (laughs) and to my massive and disappointingly male fan base (laughs) that was so funny like and i i don't think they're always dropping banger lines i mean they're not dropping like crazy i think he's the best written character of the four. Um, he is yeah. the most, cons- like, him and King Shark are the most consistently, Deadshot's kind of just here. Um, uh, doesn't feel like they give a lot of... But he dances as he shoots, which I, I enjoy well, that part watching is, That time. part is great. I mean, the game definitely, I, I don't know how you would do this within the structure of the game they built, but it is desperately missing, like, one-off missions or duo missions yeah, where the characters just... could talk to one another and they could have a little more backstory, fill in some more of the characterization. I think they get a decent way there with what they've got, but it feels it feels lacking. Like, I want to go and have a Deadshot and Harley Quinn mission and just have the two of them bounce off one another. And the game has to constantly accommodate you could be any character in any sequence. And so the I think ultimately that is going to lead to the dialogue being a little flat. Um, other than... Hey, also, if you know, this game does not shut the fuck up. Um, this game is... It's a little chatty. I feel like 
There's chattier games, though. Oh, do you mean like like interrupting well, gameplay? Because I think I'm getting cutscenes every two seconds, and I'm like, I just want to turn my brain off and start shooting things. Hey, Riddler, you know, can we have an accessibility feature where the Riddler shuts the fuck up? Here's my uh, beef with Riddler. Because, wait, we need to talk about I feel like, and I didn't play like the old like Arkham games. Like mm-hmm. I played like some, like a little bit of one of them and I want to play them. They seemed cool. I had fun with my time. I just, it was one of those things where like, hey, what if I played this? And then like, you know, life went on, yeah. right? I was like, okay. Um, Cause it's like modern era stuff. And I remember people talking about like, oh, the Riddler trophy is such a pain if you want to get the platinum. Blah, blah, blah. Did that scare them off from making like interesting? Cause why is Riddler, like he has some riddles, but then they're like hard to, to tell, like, like we have to like look at something and like that part's a riddle like that was like the first one i did but the other ones like don't quite trigger and then he's like go through these loops and i'm like how is this a riddle it's not a riddle <laughs> like, it's, it, it's, it's a carryover from the like the, the ones in the first three in the trilogy of batman games were very much a come to a place get a riddle yes. look at look at the environmental design and figure out how it works i think that's really difficult to do the bigger the space gets and in this game like, hey, man, I'm just trying to get to the mission marker. And along my way to get to the mission marker, my boy is just chiming in six different times with different riddles that I just do not care about. And I, I, I mean it seriously. I wish I could just turn his VO off. It is not additive. I'm, uninter- I'm uninterested. doesn't matter how many num- how big that number is. Zero or 40. That's fine. I'm not going to collect a single one of those, like, riddles. I'm no, I'm un- spite. Uh, uh, I found a couple... By accident. Like, I look up and like, oh, there's one. I shoot it. I collect it. And all it does is unlock some some codex uh, stuff to kind of yeah. fill out uh, backstory uh, writing. But uh, it does nothing for me. But also just as you're going from place to place, like Batman just always on the comms, on these like universal <laughs> comms. Like Batman's talking. Lois Lane is talking. Brainiac is never talking. I assume at some point he'll be doing some talk. But like. The game seems like it cannot let you just have a quiet moment while you're going somewhere. It always has to intersperse with a Riddler thing that you might come across. Uh, Lois Lane commenting on on something. Batman commenting on it. Just it never gives itself a a moment to breathe. Which I think is you know maybe that's intrinsic to open world live service stuff where they're constantly just whipping shit at you to do. Um, but it's like, look, man, I give me thirty seconds to just do some like traversal because the the traversal stuff in this game feels pretty good to do. And I don't need another world building, uh, a part of it. Um, and it just seems, it felt, it feels a little intrusive, uh, at times. Yeah. I think too, it might, it's tough because it all kind of blends together and I'm Mm -hmm. just like going through it, but for the side stuff, like to what degree do you need to like, I guess you can kind of come because it's like marked in the world, but some of it isn't like, I kind of wish I had a more, I don't know, organic connection with the open world that I'm, because there's obviously enemies like populating the world, but there's not necessarily always like, there's markers, there's like things to do, but there's sort of like, I wish I could naturally come across stuff I couldn't that tell isn't you just anything the thing. about the layout of Metropolis. Yes. Like, I am, yeah, I am that's always the, that's just. That's kind of like what I'm getting at. It's like, mm, there's that center area, right? Like, there's a tower. I'm always a little a news, surprised. The Daily you know, Planet. It, it takes uh, like a third of the game before you get. Of uh, a, a functional fast travel to go back to the Hall yeah. of Justice where you have all your gear vendors. Um, but every time I was like swing my way back there, I'd always be sort of, oh right, oh we're we're back here at the Hall. Oh okay, right, oh right, that's this area. There's never a moment like in the Spider-Man games where it's not like I've memorized every alleyway, but I have a yeah. general sense of the flow of the city by the by a certain point in that game, and that's what happens in a lot of 
especially city-based games or just big map games in general. And here I just have no sense of the geometry. I am just going from point A to point B. As far as I know, this game has no fast travel beyond the Hall of Justice. The map's not especially huge to go from one corner to the other is just a couple of minutes of your time and there'll be stuff to do along the way. But yeah, I'm with you that it's not a, it's not a particularly memorable space uh, to explore, which it's not, I'm not saying it's ugly or like the, the architecture is not interesting, but I'm not engaging with it enough for it to land in my brain at all. I think too, um, one thing I definitely want to shout out, because for me, it was like my narrative highlight, I think. Um, what, which it's funny because it's what was one of the trailers too. I was like, oh yeah, they showed us the stuff with Batman that happens fairly early on. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, spoilers, if you don't want to know what this is and you plan on playing, you can skip ahead like a few moments or whatever. Um, but yeah, just like, even though I had seen a lot of that in the trailer because they showed it in the trailer, cuts in the trailer, like showing up and it's like, well, Batman doesn't kill people. And then like the blood <laughs> and the go- like, and then it's so interesting because I think I can see, like, I love that moment in the game and I could see a lot of people maybe kind of marking the problems there of like oh well you're not even really doing anything you're just walking around the best moment is like a character that you don't even play like i i hear you i get it i don't agree like i love stuff like i love a game that can give me a mechanical moment that is so unlike the rest of the game like it's the same reason that like very light spoilers for god of war ragnarok like when you're you know walking with the yak or whatever a lot of people were like that moment was so long i hated that i'm like that was the best part of the game what are you talking about like i love (laughs) that like slow pace, almost like walking sim twist-esque stuff and like being there, kind of going through the maze of it. And something that really I thought was super fun about that area, because basically it's just like a, you know, a dark room, you're navigating the space, Batman's taking people out in the shadows, you don't really ever see him in this scene, but like you know he's there and you come across bodies and like sometimes you might fall into one of his traps and you quote unquote die. And what they did that's so fun with it is when you like died as your character, you really did die. You became another character. And at a certain point, I ran out of characters. Like, my only my partner was playing. He's like, what happened? I'm like, I'm, I went through all the bodies. Like, I fell into every trap. And there was no more of me left. And sure, that's not, like, quote-unquote real stakes or whatever. But one, it doesn't need to be. And two, I'm like, oh, what a fun way to utilize this, like, multiplayer game. Like, it's such a creative use of yes. having four playable characters. Like, like, yeah, like, thank you. Hello. Like, it was just, you know... I wish there was, and I'm, I'm not done with the game, and I have been told by people that played through it and liked it that it only gets better, like, post the Green Lantern stuff, in their opinion. So we'll see. Mm. You know, maybe the best is yet to come. But I, like, loved stuff like that, and it was just so creative and cool that I, you know, and maybe there's more of that coming. But, like, I wish they got a little bit more into that. And I get at the end of the day, this is, like, a, a fly-and-gun kind of game. But having that bit, it helps break it up. It adds intrigue. Well, it's like, a character, I just it's it was a character a cool moment, thing. right? And it's it's yeah. a game that I think is lacking in 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 more of those. Um, uh, so I, if if there's more of that in the kind of final sprint that I'm about to head into, I'll that'll that will make me very happy because I think if that game had more of this, um, I'm not sure it would solve all of its problems for people that just sort of disagree with what just what Suicide Squad is on a fundamental level. Like this is not, you know, an extension of the Arkham games like it is something different set within the same universe and if if that's exactly what you want you're not you're just not going to find it here and you sort of have to see can you appreciate and enjoy the game on on the terms that it is set up uh I mean I would tell most people like it's a live service game those games 
tend to get better with time. This game might not be around in three years, but it's going to be around for six months, a year. Your best bet is to wait, um, both from a it'll go on sale because that's what games do. Um, and they're probably going to time a sale with like the Joker being added, I think, sometime next month. And yeah, maybe some of the stuff that, you know, Jen and I are like having friction with. Maybe it's not eliminated, but it's better because they'll end up tweaking things as people are playing it. So I think like where I stand and telling people to play it or not play it is unless you just got to know. There's so many big games coming up, like, yeah, I think you'd be better off coming to this game later this year, giving it a chance to mature, giving it a chance to polish as a as a live service game and and having more content, right? Like the Joker and these other characters that they're they're going to be adding after let after me release. mix and match why is it just one armor skin like it's like you can't even switch <laughs> the pants with the mask it's Bad it's absurd we, you know we have a you know this is a full circle with our prince of persia lost crown conversation yeah which, yeah it's all because of the pants yeah. yeah and the pants in that game not good bad customization options yeah, in the no, lost mm-hmm. crown uh but They're, at least that game is a you know masterpiece level metroid style game yeah as opposed so to, like i uh, care the the degree to which i get mad at the pants. like i'm always gonna care a lot about pants <laughs> that's just who i am but the degree to which it irks me you know it varies based on what the gameplay loop is kind of you know gesturing towards um oh geez oh one thing that I, I think one very last thing i want to mention that i think is kind of funny is suicide squad kill the justice league even if it was like a freaking banger live service game at the end of the day like you said a lot of people just didn't want a live service game in this universe from this studio, whatever. And it, there's something kind of funny about like a lot of people being like, we don't want suicide squad. I don't want to be the suicide squad. And like everyone in the game is like, what this, these guys? Like, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? There's something, like everyone hates these people. Everyone's like, you, even when you're like, we're here to help. They're like, Oh my God. You know what? Just get, get in the fucking, get in the fucking truck. Like, I don't, you know, it's like, there's something really interesting about that being very much in that internal world conversation. I'm like, oh, everyone hates them, but they're just, they're just trying to, well, they're trying to kill people. So I guess it is bad, but like, they're killing for good. You know, they mm-hmm. turned evil, mm-hmm. but I don't know. There's something interesting about that. Well, we'll, we'll have to report back because I, at this point, I'm going to see it through the, through, to the end. Oh, or at least same. As, as I don't know if I'll as... make it by next week, but I'm, I plan to yeah. continue. So cool. All right, and so uh, with that, I think we'll just take it to some emails right now. Uh, there's other stuff we've been playing, but we've got some good emails that are germane to some conversations we've we've had today. So before we uh, run out of time here, I just wanted to dip into the uh, question bucket, as it were. Uh, as a reminder, you can send uh, your emails to questions at remapradio.com. Uh, so our first question here comes from uh, unsigned actually hi all with the terrible news of layoffs and potentially more and worse in the future. Do you think the companies have been chasing money that isn't there for them? So my friends and family aren't what you consider video game players, but they all have PS fives all have GTA five Buy the new FIFA and call of duty every year. Some of them will get Assassin's Creed every now and get now and again, but that's it. When you see the most popular games and what's sold the most, it's pretty much these, and you could argue it's the same all over. And when you see kids' games, it's all the same games for them too. Minecraft, Mario Kart, Fortnite, etc. Were companies chasing the overall money in the games industry uh, when if you took the money that the above games make out of the equation, the overall revenue of the industry would be drastically different? Uh, or is it just that there's too much money being brought to the table by investors that it was hard to refuse? 
seems a lot of companies dooming themselves with bad projections and taking on debt for something that wasn't there at all. Well, certainly, uh, I mean, the chase of of folks buying sort of these annualized franchises, I mean, you know, Call of Duty in the shooter genre, you know, Madden, FIFA, or I guess, what are they calling it? They're not calling it FIFA anymore. I forget what, they're, what EA is calling their, their football game that sold just as well without negotiating with a cursed enterprise like FIFA. But, uh, I mean, I think you can see that tension playing out now. I mean, like part of the layoffs in the industry, part of uh, the money crunch that's occurring is... Like, do you have one of these? Like, do you have do you have one of these kind of tentpole? People will show up regardless of what marketing you do, regardless of uh, whether much changes uh, year over year. Um, the problem is, there's what ten of those. You know what I mean? And so, video games are so big, and once people have a box, well, they're going to want to play something else. And so, I think if you were to ask any of these executives, they would certainly rather just have <laughs> one of these, but once you have an install base that big, you know, in, in, you know, theoretically, they're going to want to play, play other stuff. And then it's just, I always find it interesting to ask folks that are in that category. They're like, they only play a handful of games a year. Maybe they're sports focused, what they end up playing otherwise. Um, I will say a surprising number of them sign up for a thing like Game Pass if they have Xbox and they don't play very much, but they, they like the idea that they can just dip in and play something for 20 minutes and, and dip out. Yeah. I mean, I think this is kind of central crisis in games that like people buy the familiar and they tend to not buy. This has always been the case. Like people just tend not to buy that many games per year. And it tends to be some of the big franchises. I think some of the problem for publishers is that they are uh, some of these things like the, you see consolidation patterns where like just more and more of the audience converges on these games. But it's also worth remembering there's always a first one of these games. And yeah. I think that's what gets lost in this is uh, let's think about this with like the future of Xbox, right? Where like if you want like the real value of a publisher, it's that you can sort of distribute risk that like you're going to have misses. You're going to have hits and then you have some like actual blockbusters. Um, but you only get like those those outcomes are all pretty much guaranteed. You you know you release a certain number of games, you're going to have a, an array of those outcomes. And a lot of times, I think the way publishers are managed, uh, like the the codec model, kind of uh, typifying this, it reminds me of like the dipshits we deal with at Vice, who are like, "This article trafficked well. Here are some post hoc like uh, rationalizations for why it trafficked well." you should do more of that because these reasons mean things traffic well. And it's like, no, the same logic that created the article that like got 200 views and the article that got 200,000, 200, the same logic applied in both cases. Like there's sometimes you feel like one is a better bet than the other, but ultimately you're going out there to take swings. And Rob, why does your Stardew Valley piece that you spent 30 minutes on produce probably the most traffic of anything Waypoint published in seven years? What are our lessons from, from yeah, that? <laughs> exactly. And and I think like part of the like part like part of the lesson there is a lot of times, like I think where publishers end up with the public publishing slate is it's like um you know if you're you're teaching like a batter to just like only like be really choose about your pit. You're going to have somebody who never swings the bat. If you're like telling your uh, quarterback in the NFL, like, Hey, whatever you do, don't turn the ball over. If you emphasize that enough, they're going to stop taking the shots. They're going to win you the game, right? Like it's just, 
there's a certain degree of you never know how you're going to generate the thing that is going to turn into a man, everybody I know, they don't play games, but they play GTA. Uh, they play, you don't know where that's going to come from. Fortnite has been around for a few years, but remember that was a failed project that they reinvented. And now it is a license to print money. And I think a lot of times what companies are chasing is like this idea that they just want a guaranteed return. They don't want to take any misses. And that's fine, but if you think about publishing portfolios as portfolios, the way you guarantee growth is by distributing risk and like broadening investment. And the way publishers approach things does not match that, right? Instead, it's like, well, everything should be a hit. And otherwise, we'd send that money elsewhere. Maybe that's a market pressure just based on like how investor money could be spent. But I think the, the, like the thing that gets missed here is that publishers have no appetite for taking the, the whiffs and taking the disappointments that you inevitably encounter along the way to maybe encountering the franchise that'll be your, uh, you know, your GTA, your, your, uh, you know, call of duty. Um, FIFA is an interesting case because, uh, FIFA's FIFA is because of exclusivity. That's it. Like that's like, that is why that is that is why EA Sports is a big deal. Is like league exclusivity. I was thinking about this. Um, well, so it's, thinking, but they also managed to. I mean, I think it might be worth pointing out. They they no longer have that, but they had the exclusivity for so long that that they are now the de facto. You know, I mean, like someone else could just make a soccer game, and they could technically talk to all these leagues, stadiums. Like they could build what EA did, but it's like you built the monopoly with the exclusivity. And then said, "Fuck you to the to, to to the exclusivity." But you still have the monopoly because you spent you know my fifty years fifteen years building that. So there's really not a credible way that you could compete with EA on, on that level, even if technically you could be doing what they're doing uh, and signing those same licensing agreements. Yeah, I wonder about that though. I was thinking about this with um because I was just thinking about like the plight Microsoft finds itself in, mm-hmm. right? Which is like the plight is a strong word, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, like. Time was, you know, one of the things like they'd have their baseball game, you'd have yours, right? Well, now mm-hmm. it's just the show. Like the show is the good one. Everyone plays that. Most people had their NFL game, and there were people who like, uh, what was Take Two's? Uh, that wasn't was it? Uh, that was what Virtual Concepts was making, right? Like going going way back. Um, well, shit. What was what was the Dreamcast one that people would like die for? Uh, the the. Dreamcast football game. Uh, well, that's that starts with NFL 2K. Um, I, th- I think. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's 2K. I think people. Adore yeah, developed by Visual 2K. Concepts. Um, yes, that yeah. was seen as holy shit. There's like a way you can do this that isn't ma- like it was a quantum leap. And Madden gets quality. better after 2K starts doing that. Like Correct. There's a con- and I think this is some of the the thing that one thing you could do to differentiate consoles like. Yes, sometimes people will just like have platform allegiance. They'd be like, my game is better than yours. But I do think there's some value in being like, you would have the ability to say like, here are these various uh, audiences for these types of games. and We're going to offer them a unique experience. Like this is why Forza exists, basically. Forza is still good. I'm playing a lot of it lately. I was just thinking about like, but it feels like we should have more like flagship car racers than we do, but it's kind of condensed down to like, 
two games that do a very similar thing. And, you know, who knows, maybe the future we're down to one. But yeah, for, for me, I think, um, yes, the, the fundamental problem is all these companies are like, you're, <laughs> you're trying to make people buy games and they only want to buy what's familiar. That's kind of where their budget goes. And then you have a audience of core gamers that are a little more fickle, which gives you a little more opportunity. Uh, but yeah, I think this is the this is the real concern is that if you dig past the top line numbers of the games industry, uh, there's some real question as to how viable publishing new stuff and and making games is. This is the conversation we had with uh, you know Brett uh, a couple weeks ago the the new IP thing. I've been playing more Immortals, Patrick. I'm almost I think I'm almost done. You've warned me of longer than I expect, but like genuinely, I'm here, and it's like I really like it like genuinely unironically like it is a seven or an eight out of 10 game I think but like a very respectable one and some of its moments really land and just making people like give a game like that the time of day is so damn hard um but I think there is value in continuing to go out there and like make games like that uh in hope of like eventually one of them catching and sometimes maybe doing the follow-up, right? Like you get the, the cult hit or people are like, that game was underappreciated. Maybe the second swipe at it, suddenly the, you know, suddenly you have a, a constituency for it that you didn't before. But yeah, I think this is, this is sort of nail on the head. Like this is one of the core problems, uh, borderline crisis in the industry. Well, and, and uh, we certainly see this play out in other industries, right? Like, uh, why did so many filmmakers decry, you know, the decades long run of Marvel, which led to the rise of superhero films dominating the box office for essentially an entire decade and then cheer as Marvel now hits some some it's like w- once you establish that model and everyone chases it, uh, you know, I, that can be dispiriting as a as a creative. And I can understand as the person writing in how that's sort of there are so many video games. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to figure out which one. And sometimes you just want the one. Yeah, uh, this is more of a statement, but I do think it's worth uh, hitting. I think it's an interesting point. Uh, again, unsigned writes, "Hi, Remap. I have to speak out against your request for Prince of Persia to add more fast travel points. Personally, I was overjoyed to find a game that has the courage to limit fast travel. Think of Dark Souls One. The reason people love the map so much, remember every corner of it, is because they had to run through it over and over. It produces." Amazing moments like when my wife broke her sword fighting the gaping dragon and had to run all the way back to the blacksmith to repair it. I think more friction in games is a good thing because frictionless experiences are boring. I hope that more games embrace the spirit of making you slightly annoyed while playing so that you have a more memorable experience. I think it's a good point. I think it's one of those things that like there's a lot of risk for those amazing moments in certain types of games. Like I, I like friction. But it turns into a bit like Patrick and puzzles. Like, ooh, no, too much friction. That game's got plenty of friction. It's combat's hard. It's platforming is extreme. I think they found their friction, and uh, I, I sort of I disagree with applying that sentiment to this game, even as I agree with the broader sentiment of friction is good. For example, I was just talking with uh austin uh about dragon's dogma 2 as we psych each other up for that game coming out uh next month and noting that dragon's dogma in the original game makes fast travel expensive and rare 
And the expansion, Dark Arisen, responds to that tension by making fast travel easier and cheaper. And in Dragon's Dogma 2, they've gone back to the OG, which is that it is hard and it is rare. Um, and so I, I'm, and I'm glad that is present in Dragon's Dogma. I think on many levels it is fundamental to the journey experience that it's creating. But I don't, I don't necessarily agree that all friction is created equal. Um, and in The Lost Crown specifically, a game that has a percentage meter to tell you how much you have completed this game and the only reason you put the percentage meter is because you know that the people that play it like to get to 100%. At that point, I think you are then catering to an audience that wants to be a completionist. And I don't think that the Souls games present themselves as adventures that need to be fully explored and completed um, because adding in or removing that friction would would run against that sort of design ethos. So, uh, yeah, like I said, agree broadly, disagree specifically on on applying it to, to Lost Crown, at least, at least in this regard. Uh, Lee from London writes, Hi all, was touched to hear Robin Patrick speak so enthusiastically about the empathy and general niceness in Infinite Wealth's writing. As someone who's going through the series chronologically right now, I can confirm this earnestness and deep love for people is a quality that was there from the start. You've all spoken in the past of how difficult it can be with, to stay with any particular game given the professional obligation to play new releases. However, it still begs the question, if you could play games at your own pace, would you actually want to dedicate your time to exploring a long-running series for months on end, even as onely as uh, even one as lovely as Like a Dragon? And if so, what would your dream retrospective be? Love the podcast and shout out to Janet for being such a great addition. Hmm. I feel like we've done versions of this one before, but yeah. um But I also find my answer changes moving target, just like because of like for me, my reaction to this is like, well, yeah, I would love to when we start playing this, I told MK like because she was so into watching me play uh Infinite Wealth. It was like great news. There's like nine of these games. <laughs> we can play this is like finding a, like a netflix series that has yeah. seven seasons and it's like we can do this for months <laughs> but but i can't help but notice her enthusiasm for firing up infinite wealth is dimmed as we've entered like the mid phase of the game which is yeah. like oh we're just going to put the main plot on ice and send you on side quests and side quests and they're all some of them are funny and they're goofy but like there's a lot of this stuff and it's one of like it's a thing that's in real that I really struggle with. It's in real tension for me, which is that I know what people love about these games is they're so expansive and you have these weird, like long goofy asides. But then there are times where I'm like, I would just like to be able to move the, through this faster. Like I'm not even, you're not even really given the option to stay critical path. Like you're going to see this new thing. Yeah. Um, but that, so like right, right there at the start, I'm like, you know, there are times I'm like, man, I would love to go play all the Yakuza like a dragon game. That'd be great. And then I'm like, man, do I want to spend all this time with these games and, and these goofy asides? I don't know, because the thing they end up in competition with is like, even if I didn't have new releases to try and keep up with, the things that you're in competition with are there's other cool game series that you'd love to dig into. Uh, but also increasingly, it's like, Man, I, I, I want to write more, uh, not write more, but I want to read more books, right? Or it's just time with, with family. It gets harder to justify, like, man, like, 
okay, 40 hours, 50 hours of like, you know, you know, of this game versus spending the time doing other stuff. Um, and I, and I think that's the, that's the, that's the kind of real sticking point for me, uh, when it comes to this is even if you took away the, like, well, you got to play current releases. It also just feels like so many games. I think this ties into the live service stuff a little bit. Just the attempt to be like, we're going to fight for players time. We're going to get their attention. We're going to make a value proposition on time. I think for me, there's also now so much awareness of like, that is time being taken from other things to an extent that might be more important on, than on like, purpose. That's by, by, by design. Yeah, it's the attention. Getting economy. the whole biography of Kiryu. Yeah. Like I'd like do I like, you know, when all is said and done finite pool of time, do you want to spend all that time learning about like Kiryu's background? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah. I think I found myself in a, in a similar boat where, Rather than think, I mean, like, if I'm answering the question specifically, I wish I didn't have to look at every time Larian releases a game and go, I, do, I can't even start that because I know I won't finish it. And it's easier for me emotionally to not get invested in it and then have to drop it and never finish it. So I don't, I played Original Sin 1 and I didn't play Original Sin 2. Decent chance I don't play Baldur's Gate 3. But I fucking hate it. So I'm pretty sure both those games would be like all timers for me. But. In my heart of hearts, it's like, oh, if you had more time, what would you do? It's, it's pr- a pretty similar response to you. I think some of this is reflective of my age as well and like priority shifting. Um, it's probably a different answer in my 20s, certainly a different answer in my teens. Um, but as I, you know, recording this, I turned 39 today, like priorities are just different. And like what I would do with extra time would be different. Like the structure of my week a lot of the time, Monday through Thursday, I give I give up playing video games Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because that's usually about more family stuff, activities, things that we're doing. But like Monday through Thursday, like I work, you know, nine to five ish, uh, pick up the kids, do activities with them in, at, at night, eat dinner, put the kids to bed between eight and nine, see if my wife wants to watch something between nine and ten and then ten to midnight, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Like that's when I like play a lot of games have things to talk about on the podcast there are a lot of nights where i i I don't i'm just not gonna play a game tonight like i'll do like literally like i really want to watch the society of the snow movie on netflix and i just don't have the time to dedicate to that at at the moment um i would probably just give myself a break which is to do something else other than kind of be on that uh that kind of treadmill um but, but like on a broader level, if it was just in the realm of video games, it is just, I wish I didn't have to write off games that were more than 40 hours. Like 40 hours is like my cap. Beyond that, it's like I'm inventing content reasons to finish them, right? <laughs> like that's how I finished Cyberpunk. That's how I finished Elden Ring. Um, and so it's less about a specific franchise really for me as much as it would be nice to be able to not just look at certain types of games and go, I can't make that work with, with my life. Um, so that's kind of where I am. Uh, again, like Jermaine, to this point, maybe, and and uh, you know, conversation we've been having a lot today. Jan writes in the last few weeks, Microsoft Game Pass and gaming subscription models in general were one of the focal points in gaming discussions. Uh, while I was a big proponent of Game Pass in the past, my perspective has shifted quite a bit in the last few years. 
my initial thoughts were similar to my thoughts on uh, video on demand services. $9 a month for infinite access to games? What can go wrong? Well, life can go wrong. Different tastes in, ga- in gaming, in my opinion, are a huge factor in answering the question if subscribing to Game Pass or similar services is even worth the money. For me, at least, it is telling that I don't know of a single individual in my social environment who is actually subscribing to Game Pass, except for the guy who scored a deal on a Series X, which came with a free three-year subscription. An example, back in 2022, I felt the desperate need to play through the Mass Effect series once again. With the Legendary Edition released in 2021, it was great to see it already being playable through Game Pass, so I played through it, which took me three or four months total. Plus, I took a deep dive into Mass Effect Andromeda since I had never played it. I wish I could still say the same. That took me another month, I guess. In total, I paid $50 to play those games, which at the time would have cost me $30 in total had I just bought them. Ironically, on top of that, I got the Legendary Edition a few weeks later via Twitch, quote-unquote, for free. Uh, I realize Mass Effect is probably a special case, maybe not a good one, but three games including lengthy, those are three games with including lengthy DLCs. My point is games are long. Even though games have gotten more expensive over the last few years, they still get discounted regularly, and most of the time you do not have to be an especially patient gamer for a good deal on games. Uh, for example, I paid only $30 for Alan Wake 2, just two months after initially released because it was already discounted that deeply in December. While well, a subscription model for music and movies and shows makes total sense, uh, and I can appreciate and listen to watch a lot of it over the course of a month, the games I tend to play are far too long for that to make sense to me. Since I'm the father of an 18-month-old daughter, my time spent on gaming per day, as you can probably imagine, is somewhat limited these days, and it takes a lot of time to spend almost two hour, 200 hours on gaming, even more than back in 2022 when she was born. Uh, in the end, it's also a problem of choice paralysis. Similar to my wish list on Netflix, games on my wish list on the M- uh, Microsoft Store and Game Pass are destined never to be played because I always feel there should be something even better. Uh, so, is there a future for subscription services in gaming? I can actually imagine, I can not imagine a near future where buying games is a thing of the past, similar to buying albums or movies going out of style after services like Spotify or Netflix were launched. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that's kind of the. The question, I think it's a good example of like the types of constraints people are under that make a subscription service a harder sell than the TV services that video games are kind of mimicking here. And also, I think the value proposition thing is a super valid point. Like, it is hard to deny that I could have probably gotten more utility from buying games on Xbox and actually playing them than the Game Pass subscription brought me. You know what I mean? Like, for what I spend annually on the Game Pass, I probably would have gotten most of that value just, like, buying one or two games and playing them uh, and not having the the service. Um, And, like, I think that's a... I think that's a hard thing to to get around like for me those feel like two major constraints is that like the value proposition of like just buying the game you want is still probably better uh than you get with uh you know having the the running subscription and then it just doesn't it just doesn't scale like i subscribe to hulu there's tons of shit i just throw on tv and be like i just want to watch a quick thing or i want to watch a movie there's tons of stuff like it's easy to say like i i get a lot of that hulu subscription it's not easy to do the whole like buffet thing with a game subscription service um, to, to the same degree. It just doesn't, it's a, it's just a different, it's just a different medium. 
I suspect if I was not in the position that I'm in, where I'm either purchasing Game Pass uh, for work reasons or getting a code from Microsoft to just add it to to my account, that I would treat it a lot like I have the hierarchy of actual streaming services, which is there are some that I have because I just need them to be available all the time. And that is Netflix and Disney Plus. I am unwilling to like think month to month. Do I need this? Do I want this? Like my wife watches a shitload of stuff on Netflix and my kids watch a shitload of stuff on Disney Plus. Those just need to be at the ready. We get our money's worth out of both those platforms. Beyond that, you know, as like the password crackdowns have happened, like if I lose access to a Hulu, it's like, well, I sign up for Hulu when there's a show I want to watch on Hulu and then I just sign up and then I cancel it. My guess is game. I would have treated game pass similarly. I, uh, I would probably sign up for Starfield and then play Starfield and then cancel it. Um, now, granted, the economics of these services sort of rely much like a WoW subscription uh, or an MO subscription on you sign up and then forget. And at some point you remember and you cancel or you're doing like an accounting at the end of the year of your credit card bills for tax purposes or something. And you're like, oh, whoops, I've been I've been I've been paying for for this for 12 months and completely forgot. Um, but depending on how you feel about ownership and access, my guess is my relationship with Game Pass would, would be very transactional of like, I am going to purchase this because this game is out. I will play the game. I will cancel the service. And I've, I've paid $18. And like, that was a lot better than me paying $60. Um, because I think that's like, that's a very practical use of the service. Although I, Microsoft needs people to not do that because the actual economics of running it or any any streaming uh, on demand service would not would not make sense if that's if people treated it like they were just purchasing the product uh, and moving on. Yeah, I think it's like I think it's part of the future. I just don't. I increasingly do not feel like it is the answer uh, to you know to the future of games uh, because I I think to a degree we you know the point we had earlier about like people just play the same games over and over again. You know, that's your subscription service is going to go up against that, too. You're you're still like, I would just I will just pay the $50, the $70 for Call of Duty. If that's what I'm playing, I will just do that and like leave the subscription aside. Uh, so, yeah, it's like it's it, it's a major challenge. And I think, again, like. There is a way for these subscription services, I think, to be really a positive part of the ecosystem, but I don't think the notion that we're moving toward like replacing the traditional model with like, and we're just going to sell people subscriptions. I just don't think, I don't think it's, it equates that way uh, to the way people interact with, with other streaming services and other media. Uh, anyway, I think that will conclude another episode of remap radio. Uh, our theme song is by two mellow. You can check out his work at uh, two mellow.net. You can follow everything we do at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience for support, and you can sign up to become a backer by going to remapradio.com and following the links and instructions you see there. This week, Patreon subscribers got to hear Patrick Cotto and myself discuss Godzilla Minus One, and next week, I think we're going to be looking at the end of the NFL season with Jeff Grubb and discussing the bright, bright future ahead for the Chicago Bulls. Now they're <laughs> going to get to keep Zach Levine for the foreseeable future. Uh, but hey, Cubs spring training starts next week. 
Your support also lets us set aside time for streaming, uh, though with Kato out this week, we had a little bit less of that. Uh, Friday, I think we're going to try and stream some next best games. But before that, we've heard you. NVIDIA has heard you. You want the wheel. You need to see the wheel spin. And you need to see me play whatever it dredges up from the depths of GeForce now. Well, now and for the next few weeks, you're going to get it. Uh, Apparently, so will I. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode of Remap Radio. Until then, thanks so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us. Fuck capitalism. Go home. 